Luke 22 at verse 47. While Jesus was still speaking to his disciples, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. <clears throat> then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, <clears throat> Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, <coughs> said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. Amen. If you like a fine tale of love and betrayal, then John le Carre's The Spy Who Came In From The Cold ticks boxes. If you're not familiar with it, the protagonist is Alec Lemus, and he's a senior intelligence officer for MI6. He operates under the shadows of the Berlin Wall. But he finds himself jaded and lonely and falls into the arms of a young librarian called Elizabeth. Then as the relationship deepens, a job from HQ forces them apart. And he's sent on one last mission, deep into communist Germany, to deep con the Stasi. One final act, so he's told, before he can be brought in from the cold. And all the while, 
two of the story's most sympathetic characters are victims of epic betrayal. Both happen to be Jewish, and if I'm not giving too much away, their lives are sacrificed to a cold war between East and West. So there is a bit of gut punch to the tale alongside a brilliant conclusion. Have you ever been betrayed by a close personal friend or family member? One who made a great pretense of kindness but then stabbed you in the back, as it were? Ever betrayed anyone yourself? Perhaps all of us have true tales of betrayal to tell, though mostly we've buried them deep down in our hearts. Perhaps we've managed to forgive and at least partially forget. And not all of us necessarily want to dredge up the past. Well, here is a true tale of two betrayals that the Bible won't allow us to forget. And yet has something in them to bless us and heal us here today. Verse 47, while Jesus was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? And when those were, who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. He touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. So the first act of betrayal is by Judas. And Judas' kiss was a prearranged signal to this cohort of Jewish officials. They had come to arrest Jesus at night when very few people would have been around to oppose it. So they wanted minimal fuss and no mistakes in finding the right man in the dark. A halo above Jesus' head would have been handier, but I don't think they'd been invented yet. Luke reminds us that Judas is one of the twelve, because he was no mere casual acquaintance of Jesus. They had rather shared a three-year relationship together. But one kiss is all it takes to end all that. And this was no kiss of love as the Calvin Harris song, One Kiss, depicts. Rather, Judas' kiss 
is a kiss of death. Psalm 2 talks about a kiss. Kiss the sun, it says, so that rebels like us can draw near to him in love and gratitude. And blessed are all who take refuge in him. But this kiss is a completely different take on Sam 2's plea. And so Jesus addresses him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Which, as Ralph Davis points out, only highlights the heinousness of the deed. Because he is betraying no mere man, but the Son of Man himself. The divine figure, as prophesied in Daniel, chapter 7. And then it also highlights the hypocrisy of the deed. That he is being betrayed by a phony act of affection. Then in the disciples' desire to protect Jesus, suddenly a detached ear appears. And the situation turns a bit Tarantino. Because someone decided that to go reservoir dogs on the servant of the high priest was a good idea. You know, the Bible isn't squeamish about quite gory details like that. It describes things just exactly as they happened. Even to the detail that it was a right ear and not a left. And though Luke doesn't reveal the identity of the one who got violent, John spills the beans in John 18.10. And of course it was Peter. It had to be Peter. Mr. Impetuous, passionate to a fault. And John also reveals the name of the man who lost his ear, Malchus. So maybe if Peter had been slightly more skillful with a sword, he would have caught Malchus in the middle. Or maybe Malchus nearly dodged it altogether, but the sword just caught him on the side. Jesus never commissioned the church to wield the sword. And so he said, no more of this, and touched the servant's ear and healed him. Which was a real touch of class from Jesus. Not to mention his final miracle before the cross. Even at this late stage, he showed compassion toward his enemies. He showed love to his enemies and showed us the way to act towards ours. To be involved in the business of healing bodies, souls and minds, not breaking them, but touching lives with the love of Christ.
But Jesus also rebukes the Jewish leaders for arresting him with swords and clubs, as if he was a violent criminal. But this was their hour, he said. Their hour, yet according to God's plan. Because all the while they were operating according to his timetable. Even though they had wanted to kill him many times before, they had never been able to lay hands on him until now. Because before, it was not their hour. And so all the swords would have been completely pointless if Jesus had actually wanted to avoid his arrest. The only way they could arrest him was because he was handing himself over. To his own trial, his own scourging, his own crucifixion. Because this was always the main objective of his incarnation. What's the point of Christmas? Easter. Easter is the real point of Christmas. The reason for the season. And Easter involves this evil hour. The hour of darkness. Satan got an hour. Him and his minions got an hour of power. And yet in that hour, they ultimately achieved God's good purposes. Ever wonder what made Judas want to follow Jesus for so long before finally betraying him? Maybe the itinerant lifestyle suited him. Maybe he didn't see any better job prospects. Working at Amazon just wasn't for him. Most likely he followed the money that came with following Jesus. He was into money in a big way. He liked to dip his hand into the pot as treasurer, didn't he? We are grateful to have an Andrew here at Grace. Even Jesus didn't have as good a treasurer as we do. And Judas also betrayed Jesus for 30 silver coins, didn't he? Now, Judas didn't just mess up. He was only ever a superficial apostle, only ever an outward adherent. And if you think, hang on, what if that's me? A superficial adherent. Well, hold on. 
Do you believe in Jesus? Judas never did. He was never regenerated by the Spirit, though he had many gifts and tasted of the Spirit. So he could drive out demons and heal people like the others. And so appeared to be a true disciple for a while. But he never trusted Jesus. So if you trust in Christ, then you're not him. Nothing like him. Okay? But have no doubts about it. Judas is damned. Because Jesus called him the son of perdition or destruction in John 17, 12. A son of hell. And the only one of the 12 who was lost. And although it says that Satan entered into him in Luke 22, 3, Judas remained fully responsible for his behavior. He nevertheless followed his own evil desires. And so his betrayal of Jesus is very different to the one that we'll turn to now. Now, Peter cuts a lonely figure, doesn't he? As he follows Jesus at a distance to the high priest's house. There is a certain doggedness to his loyalty to Jesus here when all the rest have scattered. His heart is sincere in his love for Jesus. And yet perhaps in his pride, he also wanted to prove Jesus' words wrong and his words right. Because Jesus had told him earlier in verse 31 that along with the others, Satan had asked to sift him like wheat, to shake his faith like wheat on a sieve, and that he would deny his Lord three times before the rooster's crow. But when he turned back and repented to strengthen his brothers. But Peter had thought he was far braver and tougher than that. And so he responded in verse 33 that he was ready to go to prison and to death. For his Lord. So I think Peter was determined to be the one loyal disciple here. So that afterward he could say to Jesus, See, I followed you when you said I'd fall away. I love you more than you know.
And yet, whatever Peter's motives may have been by following Jesus here, he actually put himself into a very vulnerable situation. Not least because he followed Jesus at a distance, alone. No fellow believers beside him to strengthen him or sharpen his faith. to guard that loyalty of his and to help stop him from slipping. We need each other, Grace Church. We look out for each other. We don't do the Christian life alone. We don't follow Jesus like we've got all the answers. We are made to be a part of a flock, a local flock and a larger one. Not as isolated loner sheep following the shepherd. Because there was Peter all alone in that courtyard. Plenty of people around him but all alone. And he sat down in front of the fire and toasted his marshmallows with no one to talk to. As Matthew's account says, he sat down with the guards to see how it would all end. And for all Peter's bravado about going to prison and death out of loyalty to Jesus, all it took was a servant girl to stare at him for it to all go wrong. To have his William Wallace-esque brave heart turn, as it were, to Hartley's jelly. Or to quote from the film itself, his heart went from, I'm going to pick a fight, to home, the English are too many. Too many good quotes in that movie, even if it is historically dubious most of the time. Verse 57, then a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him said, this man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Now, in these two betrayals, I think you can see that the difference is clear. 
Judas betrayed Jesus to death following one kiss. An absence of any faith in Jesus. And here Peter disowned Jesus in these many betrayals of his Lord. Despite his faith in Jesus and a real love for him. Three times under pressure, though, he denied him. Three times under pressure, he betrayed him. So later, when Peter was reunited with Jesus, after his resurrection, Jesus would ask him three times, do you love me? Peter had put himself in an environment where the weakness of his flesh could be more easily exposed. Especially under peer pressure. Under satanic pressure. And under pressure, Peter's fear of man and fear of personal suffering took over his love for Jesus. Now, we can put ourselves unwisely and sometimes unwittingly into scenarios where it's easier for the old nature to flourish. And then when it does, we think, ah, come on, what was I thinking? What was I doing? What was I saying? That was insane, what I did just there. That does not reflect my faith in Jesus. My love for Jesus. And there can be tears. Sometimes appropriately so. Spiritual face planting is no fun. And so if you grit your teeth and say to God this morning, I'm going to crush it for you this week. I'll be your Navy SEAL, your special ops, Rambo, Zeno, Zena, warrior, princess, whatever. And I'll lay out all my medals at the back there for my spiritual victories next week. Out of my love for you. Well, after you've fallen, turn again to Jesus and strengthen your brothers and sisters. Because we need to remember what Jesus says about our abilities to love him and others as imperiously as that. even in the spirit. The spirit is indeed willing, he said, but the flesh is weak. 
And be careful. If you think you are standing strong, lest you fall. Because when we're all cozy and close to him, like hopefully this morning, like Peter was earlier, then it feels like we might never mess up again. how quickly things can go belly up and not without warning either and then that Romans 7 kind of temporary insanity takes over again and the good we want to do we do not do And in a sense, many betray Jesus once again. And tears for real fears may fall. Because Satan often shakes your faith and tempts you to despair, doesn't he? The dirty swine. Oh, does he ever tell you of the guilt within? So upward you must look and see him there who made an end of all your sin. Well, Peter's tears for fears would flow later just after Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Verse 61. And then Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Then he went out and wept bitterly. Now, unless your name is Avon, you can probably find an emoji on your phone that represents well enough Peter's teary-eyed face in verse 62. I checked earlier if she hadn't updated her phone. (laughs) But which emoji would you choose to best represent Jesus Look at Peter. That raised eyebrow one? Or with the one with the eyebrows all drooped down? Such a look of disappointment. And the truth is, of course, that there's no emoji could even come close to representing the love and compassion and pity in Jesus' face at that time. And that's probably what broke Peter's heart all the more. Because he's just denied the gracious Lord, 
that he adores. In Matthew 9.36, it says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. And I think Jesus saw Peter like those crowds, harassed, helpless, and racked with guilt. And so there was an overflowing compassion for him in that look. Thomas Goodwin the Puritan says in his book, The Heart of Christ, the greater the misery, the more is the pity when the party is beloved. Now of all miseries, sin is the greatest. And while you look at it as such, Christ will look at it as such also. He's the only one who ever loves you so perfectly that he neither overindulges you or is harsh with you. He gets it just right. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. We see in the face of such love no condemnation. Despite what we deserve if we were not in him. The Lord is not soft on sin. And so all sin must be paid for. Either by Jesus or in hell. And so he was condemned in your place. He was beaten by cruel and mocking men. The true temple was beaten by the temple guards for you. Verse 63. And as Isaiah 53, 5 says in the NLT, he was beaten so we could be whole. So that the Lord could forgive all the betrayals we've ever committed and heal us of all the betrayals we've ever suffered. Because for all who trust in Jesus, he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all.
And as all that Isaiah prophesied about Christ came to pass, so what Jesus prophesied about himself before his punishment came true as well. He prophesied in Luke 18.32 that he would be delivered over to be shamefully treated and mocked. And so this was beginning to be fulfilled even as those men mocked him as a prophet. It was beginning to be fulfilled even as they were blindfolding him and hitting him in their sick little game of who hit you. And yet one day, every knee will bow. And these same men will not mock Jesus or blaspheme him on that day. But they will with sober, somber acknowledgement confess him as Lord. And we know that just as Jesus prophesied that Peter would deny him three times, he also prophesied his happy return, and which happily came to pass. So in the end, while Judas the betrayer went to a very hot place, Peter was the disciple who came in from the cold. And you, believer, then are just like Peter, a true disciple that Jesus never stops bringing in from the cold. Because you're united to him. And because Jesus will never betray his own, his own adopted children. His affection is never fake or phony. All of his love is real. And it preceded our natural birth and our spiritual rebirth even when we had no love for him. You want to fight the good fight of faith this week? Without trying to be the hero? Then humbly clothe yourself in Christ. The battle's always more fierce than you think. That's why Jesus said to watch and pray. So watch and pray that you keep looking to him, his righteousness, his victory for you. Look to his face full of grace and be less introspective about how well you're performing.
because our spiritual temperature is always up, down, up, down, up, down. But the completely sufficient victory of Jesus never changes. His faithfulness towards you and his promises never change. Though the problems may be vast, the solution is always more of Jesus. He's the one to look to to alleviate your fears and wipe your tears. Until the day when there will be no more cause to fear. An eternity of no more tears. Because those former things will have been wiped for good. So kiss the sun in the Psalm 2 sense. Sink yourself ever deeper into your strong saviour, the faithful friend who gently guides you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake.